Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. And I'm Clarabel A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Nice. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So, here we are. Back again. <laughs> back, back, back again. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Back I'm... again. Not this. Is that relevant because of the Super Bowl? No. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. I didn't watch it. I, I like, sort of watched it in that, like, I, it, like, it was on in the background, and then I watched the actual halftime show, and then I <laughs> tuned out again. That's fine. That's totally yeah. fair. <laughs> um, what, what have you been up to? How's, how's life been treating you? Mm, well, I mean, <laughs> I've been... Like, good and both good and bad. Okay. Like, I started this thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw my TikTok about it, but I got this six-week planner. I did see it. I did see your TikTok. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I have about, like, seven or six weeks till Witchlings comes out. And I really want those weeks going up to the launch to not be, like, riddled with, like, just anxiety. I want mm-hmm. to, like, take care of myself and sort of, like, reset my schedule because it's been really difficult um, all throughout COVID to like maintain like a healthy lifestyle which is like for me really important because I have PCOS and mm-hmm. I have anxiety and depression and there's all these different things like um, that help me to feel better um, so I was like I don't want to make a plan where it's like for the next year I'm going to do this I was like I feel like if I if I tell myself for six weeks I'm going to try this mm-hmm. it's like less intimidating so I've been trying that um I've been, you know, going to the gym and getting my writing schedule down, which is really good. We were talking about before, but also like it's been hard because like this whole time, I think we've both been on deadline, like in perpetuity. Oh like my it gosh. just hasn't ended. It has not and, ended. Like, and there's been a lot of like extensions and like asking for more time and stuff like that. And it's like, I finally got my schedule down, but you know, I still am struggling with like meeting deadlines and stuff like that. But I'm hoping that now that I am I've got a better routine going that I'm going to be able to sort of like course correct and get into like a good groove and learn how to work from home in a good way in a way that's like healthy for me (laughs) yes exactly no so overwhelmed but coping basically okay I mean that's mostly positive net positive yeah (laughs) how about you um similar stresses perpetually on on deadline my Mm -hmm. book comes out a month after yours so I still have a little bit more time I'm not like in that place yet yeah um but I could feel it coming up so I it's good to hear like how how you're um trying to deal with it in a healthy way and how others of our friends are trying to do it because then I have like some examples of like maybe I could try this or maybe I could try that yeah Um, so that'll be really good I had to completely rewrite the beginning of my next manuscript oh wow um but you know I think I might have been telling you about this when we were hanging out when we went to go see six mm-hmm. uh, which for anyone listening it was amazing six so good oh so my god good it was and yes. it felt so important for us to like just do something where we're just hanging out and not talking about books all the time right yes <laughs> something where we're like absorbing something that's creative yeah yeah I think that's really important that Um, was an amazing night I had so much fun me too um but I remember telling you like about my writer's block and that I had to like 
figure out why. And part of it was that I was holding on to like the old version of this manuscript and these characters. So I did this thing where like I opened up like a new section in Scrivener. What's it called? Like a new um, like texts. Like a new little document. Yeah, like a new text Mm -hmm. document within the bigger folder so that the rest of it still existed. So it was like Mm -hmm. my safety net, but at least I had a blank thing to look at. And I just rewrote the first like five chapters of my book. Um, And I felt like a little bit less precious about like preserving the old words. Yeah. And it just helped unlock something. Like I think I really just needed that, like a fresh start. Like I know authors who completely just trash their whole old manuscript and I just couldn't do that yet. But I understand the mindset behind it now, for sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 I also get that a lot. And I, I remember you telling me that. And I'm like, yeah, that's really comforting. Because you always feel like, okay, it's there. If anything happens, I can mm-hmm. pull from it. It's not completely gone. And like, just, I've done that before. And I actually end up never really going back to the old writing. But yeah. just knowing that it's there helps me. Yeah. Helps my brain. For sure, for sure. The other thing is like, Finally, I'm getting, like, people reaching out to me about the arcs that went out. So that's interesting, like, reviewers and readers and stuff are, like... I mean, when when someone directly reaches out to you, usually it's to say nice things. I don't... I've never had someone, like, reach out to me and be like, I hated it. Um, Oh, yeah, me either. But I have been tagged in negative reviews. We've talked about that before. Mm. But, like, you were mentioning, like, that you were thinking a lot about, like, reviewer-author relationships recently. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been some stuff that's happened where it's not it's nothing new. This has happened so many times where like there there's like sort of like a run in where like an author acts in, inappropriately towards a reviewer. And I just thought it would be good to talk about only because like we do have a lot of like newer writers who listen to us and just so they have like a baseline of like what's okay, what's not okay and like why it's okay and and not okay right like the reasons behind it um and like I've seen so many people I remember for my original debut was date was supposed to be 2019 and I remember in that group there was this one author who like every week would come back and be like so I went on Goodreads again oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know I know yeah and that person was constantly spiraling because she was seeing negative reviews. And yeah. I will say that I've noticed, like, from a reader's perspective, reviews on Goodreads tend to skew lower than even other websites. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think that there are just, like, a lot more, like, avid readers on there. So I think that their, like, expectations are maybe a little bit higher. Also, mm-hmm. like, um, a lot of times negative reviews get, like, more upvoted on Goodreads. So, like, people tend to be a little more like mean on there sometimes mm. um but it's just not a place for authors to hang out like it, at no. all it like, isn't don't do it <laughs> goodreads is actually a social media account uh, um site like yeah people don't see it that way because it's not structured exactly the same way as like twitter or or instagram or tiktok or even facebook where there's like a um where you spend a lot of time on the timeline. Mm-hmm. There is a timeline though, when obviously when you first go to the Goodreads homepage, you're looking at the timeline of like people you follow and yeah. people that you're quote unquote friends with on 
Goodreads. And, and so it is actually, it was designed and invented as a social media site, just like focusing around books. And I think people kind of forget that. Yeah. Um, and they treat Goodreads like it's the end all be all of like people's opinions about their books. Yeah. And that's just, that's just not the way to live. <laughs> yeah. People get really worked up about it. And I understand, especially as a new writer, you feel like, oh my God, is this going to like make or break my book? M- mm-hmm. Much like if you're not popular on like a s- certain social media site, you might mm-hmm. think that that's going to affect your career. But to be honest, like that is a perception thing. And obviously, we can't sit here and pretend that perception doesn't matter in publishing yeah. because a lot of the things that we do and that people do at our publisher is to sort of like hype up the book and like that's all about like what it looks like to others, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, people unless your book has like negative five or re- like star reviews, like you're gonna be fine. <laughs> um, like you're not gonna like it's not going to like ruin your career. Um. It's actually a good thing when people are even reading and le- taking the time to leave reviews on your book. Like, oh, yeah. that's a really good thing. And it's just healthy for you to separate yourself from that sphere because, like, it's it's only going to hurt your feelings. It's only going to make you feel awful. And also, when you think about it, there's just no way that we can cater to every single review that people leave us because... Mm-hmm. Even though the bad reviews are the ones that tend to, like, stick to you, there are people who will love the book for the same exact reason that somebody else hated it. Yeah. And so you're trying to cater to the people who, like, already are predisposed to, like, not like your writing and not like your style of writing or not like the tropes that you write about and then sort of, like, forgetting about the people who are already rooting for you, you know? Yeah. Um, And you're causing yourself emotional damage at, at the same time, like... There's like no, there's like no good parts. Yeah, like uh, reviews it. are opinion based, and mm-hmm. and as like just opinions aren't fact. Like they can't be. Like those are two completely different categories. So to treat someone's opinion as if like it's is as important as a fact is harmful in so many ways like but mostly for your own mental health and the and I think like for me the reason why I actually first came up with this delineation was because I was trying to figure out a way to explain like you know when someone when we're calling out books that shouldn't be treated like a review and it was hard for me at first to explain why because a lot of times when people call out books they use the same mediums as reviewers do they do it on goodreads they do it on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a which is the places that reviewers live too, but um, so it was really important for me to make the difference of those of those two conversations in my head. And so, like someone saying like you are causing harm to me as a you know marginalized reader, that's that's a that's a fact. That's that person's lived reality, you know. But for someone to say like oh, I'm so over vampires and this bores me because I've seen it done a thousand times. That's an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of come up with that um, with that difference for myself. But then it really did help me. I didn't even realize it um, it could uh, transfer over into just like how I saw reviews in general. Um, like a person's entitled to their opinion right. and mm-hmm. opinions don't hurt people. Um, you know, it's like the like someone being like, I don't like this this piece of art because like it's not interesting to me that doesn't that can't really hurt you 
Um, so the only way it can is if you let it and you hold on to it like in unhealthy ways. So it's really important for us as authors to like work on ourselves on like our own uh, mechanisms for how we receive these types of negative reviews. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I think that's really smart. And it's just also, it's not like, it's not serving you anything in terms of like your for 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 your like career or your craft or your writing like I said like it can only serve to like send you spiraling Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. to make reviewers uncomfortable yeah and like I've seen reviewers sort of react to authors when they do these things or when they come after reviewers and they're like I will never read one of their books again Mm -hmm. or review one of their books again because I feel unsafe talking about it online Mm -hmm. um and that's that's never what you want. I, I think also reviewers should remember not to t- tag us in negative <laughs> reviews also. Like, there is a flip side to that because, like, we can't ask authors to stay out of that space and then tag them into that space mm-hmm. and invite them into that conversation. Um, so that's, that's just, like, one point to remember. But I think f- for the most part, most reviewers are really good about that. I think it's just important for you to train yourself as an author. Just... Stay off Goodreads. Like, I don't even feel a temptation to go on there. I don't. And look at all. Like, I just don't want to know. Yeah. Um, And that has come with, like, years of me just staying away and, like, being used to staying away. And I'm not missing anything. Like, I know I'm not missing anything. People can go on there, talk about my books, do whatever they need to do. And that's – it's none of my business. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's – it's gotten scary a couple times like there's been authors who have like stalked readers in the past and it's like for sure don't don't do that that <laughs> do not there was that really famous instance that was like everything was public like this isn't even like whisper network mm-hmm. level it's like if you want you can google it there's a literal think piece article the author themselves wrote about stalking the reviewer um and that As was if it was like funny or like a gotcha moment. Yeah, so it was so odd, and and I and and I do kind of see at least how far she took it as um as a very individual instance because it it felt very clear that she was she was functioning with a different moral line than the majority of us do. Mm. Um, but yeah, it seemed really scary, and I think like a lot of us were really worried. Like, oh my god, is this a thing that's happening more often, or is this like just the tip of the iceberg? Like, fortunately, I don't think any story that I've heard has been to that extreme since then. But yeah, it's still not okay for you to it. Like, there's a power dynamic, right? So it's not yeah. okay for you as an author with a platform to be like blasting a reviewer especially because you know most people who listen to this are kidlit authors so it's very possible the reviewer is a minor age yeah Yeah, like not everyone puts their age on their profile you can't know how old these people are but your target audience are teenagers right like or preteens so like there's a high likelihood that maybe this person will be a minor and then you're putting them on blast or you're asking your friends to you know drag them like i 
that's just that's there's just such a power differential there yeah. and you have to be so careful about it I know it sucks and and your and your feelings are valid like so you have a right to go into your friend group and vent and even you know Clarabelle that person who came into our Facebook group even there's like 300 people of us in the debut group at least yeah. she did it in the debut group right and right not on right. Twitter <laughs> and people were telling her like Maybe you should stay off Goodreads. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you have a right to be sad. We're not saying that you have to, like, turn off your emotions. Um, But it's kind of like where you you express that emotion is important because of your platform. And also just, like, how you move forward for your own mental health. That's important, too. Yeah. There are just certain things that you should expect when you're – going into this career right yeah. like you you need to know what you're sort of signing up for and mm-hmm. reviews are one of them reviews are one of those things that you cannot avoid as an author it's part of the job um and the best way for you to deal with them is just to pretend they don't exist <laughs> <laughs> it's so much yeah it's so much like easier. you can appreciate your readers you can like let them know like i appreciate you so much thank mm-hmm. you so much you know in a general sense um like I every once in a while on Twitter I'll be like thank you so much for all the bloggers like talking about my books because they do do a lot of like thankless heavy lifting sometimes to spread the words about stuff and I don't think there's anything wrong with like in a general sense just like showing your appreciation for them um I don't mean like completely ignore the fact that they're reviewing your book I just mean don't make that like a focus of okay time for my daily getting my feelings hurt uh a moment on goodreads let me go see what people are saying because I promise you even if there's like 20 glowing reviews and one that says your book stinks the one that says your book stinks is the one that's going to stick with you for like two weeks and it's just going to hurt you. And it's just really not a good, a good um, use of your time. I think anytime you think that like get that urge, if you're like one of those people who like can't stop going on Goodreads, like do something else, like write a line in your new book or like go tell a friend that you're feeling, um, sort of vulnerable um I think a lot of times too like leading up to your book coming out it's hard to not check stuff because like you're in that lull waiting period Mm -hmm. um what you can do and I've done this for friends in the past is like you can tell people like how many people have added the book on Goodreads or if you want to send them like a nice review that you saw somewhere something like that um I think it's totally fine as long as you don't cross the line into like checking everything yourself yeah, I mean, I, and everyone has their different um, line of like how much they're able to take. Like, mm-hmm. I know some people who can go on Goodreads and they're perfectly fine. Like, then they truly are. They're not just saying it. They're oh my like, God, Ryan. I, I cannot. He, Ryan, read, he can read anything and he's fine. He's so I fine. I mean, Alien. He's so resilient. I can't. But like, I, so, so definitely it's like all like this is just general advice that we're giving and of course it's not like the perfect advice for literally everybody who's going to be like joining on you know becoming an author but like in general like it's just it's just not productive no it's not (laughs) to go on like like what are you hoping to gain from it basically like ask yourself that question um and I I promise you that whatever it is, it's not going to be worth the sort of like disappointment of like seeing something that's like really harsh because um, they, they don't know you as people, right? They're just really reviewing 
what they read and think about like think about like a movie or a book that you didn't like and like I'm sure that like list as listeners like you've ranted about like a Mm -hmm. piece of media that you didn't like in the past and you're not really thinking about the person's feelings in that moment Mm -hmm. right you're just thinking about what you saw and how it made you feel yeah I'm sure if you thought like this person might read it like you would react differently or they use different Um, language right yeah like that's why it's important for us to just stay off of there because readers are just expressing themselves the same way all of us express ourselves after we consume some sort of media Mm -hmm. sometimes we love it sometimes we hate it um but there's a lot of passion behind that too when you think about it just sort of like that unadulterated like oh my god whatever about Mm -hmm. (laughs) the thing that you just consumed so um, it's not like it's not a personal attack, basically. It's not. Yeah. Mm. It feels like it. We acknowledge that it feels like it because we put so much of ourselves into our stories. Yeah. But it's not actually like that. I think that was a really good example. I think like when you compare it to like watching a movie and being like, oh, that movie was sucked. Mm, I did not like right, it. I will not right. suggest it. You're not thinking, who's the director? That person probably sucks too. You're not <laughs> yeah. thinking that. Like I n- I've never thought that before. I don't even think that about the actors themselves. Like, and they're the ones whose faces are on the screen the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I won't watch that again. <laughs> like, right, that's you're all. just having a reaction as somebody who is a moviegoer, mm-hmm. right? Like that's all it is. Yeah. And I think when you look at it through that lens, it becomes a little bit easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, there are so many different things like, oh my God, I saw this writer on TikTok and she was like, I'm so busy drafting my first book and working full time and trying to establish like a social media platform. And I was like, oh, honey, you're going to get so much busier once oh, your no. book comes out. I'm so sorry to tell you. Yeah. Um, but not going on. There, there are a lot of like things that you need to develop in order to like have a healthy like career as an author. Agreed. Um, like like resting. <laughs> what's I that one time jason um jason reynolds said like learn to take intentional like resting time and like i didn't realize how super important that was um and staying off of review sites like staying away from things that you know are going to harm you staying out of conversations that you know are going to impact you or or, or hurt like um affect your anxiety like all of these different things um because once you get into it once you are in the thick of it it's so hectic it's so busy there's so much going on that you really need to protect your your energy you need to protect your mental health you need to protect your your resting time all of that um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's our advice just stay away from reviews as much as you can and just like live your happy writer life and like write your books and you will still get feedback from editors and trade reviews and like uh, for people I know there are going to be people who listen to this like well you have to read reviews because that's what makes you a better writer and it's like listen we're getting feedback all the time all the time constantly from the moment we come up with a concept till the book goes to print there are multiple rounds of edits with our editor, agent, copy editor. We get trade reviews, like so much stuff. So don't you worry. We are getting <laughs> feedback. <laughs> we are, yeah. It's um, it's just impossible to take feedback from thousands of readers. Like we just, it's impossible. Yeah. And also like 
a quick review by like someone who's even even if it's like you know a few paragraphs long like there's so much like context that they don't know and also that you don't know about how where they're coming from so it's gonna yeah. it's hard to use those reviews to really um effectively grow as a writer because mm-hmm. there's just so many things that are unsaid and it's not like you can reach out to them and be like, oh, explain to me more what you yeah, meant. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's dangerous. Like we already said, do not reach out to reviewers. So like it's just like go to the people who you can have an active conversation with about their commentary, which are, like Claire already said, your editor, your agent, your critique partners. Um, it's just safer all around. Also, yeah. I do want to point out that it took me a lot of willpower to not sing the TikTok song when you said Into the Thick of It. Um, I thought of it immediately. I know. I was like, oh, my God, do not do that. Don't do it. You should have. It's so funny. I don't care. <laughs> I, have, I have total TikTok brain. Like, oh, for sure. You talk to me, and I just talk in video oh, yeah. sound bites. And it's great. Because, it's great when I'm with my nieces and nephews because that's all they do. <laughs> so, like, the other day when we were watching the Super Bowl, I was with my niece, who is 17, and they started fighting. And I was like, presidential alert. The girls are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister's like what are you talking about but like that's they just got it how they got i it. speak now <laughs> no what was it the other day like my sister's baby like was crying and we couldn't figure out what how and someone was like oh no like and i went oh no our baby she's broken <laughs> amazing <laughs> amazing i just can't help it and it's it it it's like appropriate for so many different so many um, times of like parts of life like (laughs) ugh. anyway it's great it is great go follow us both on tiktok yeah we're both (laughs) i I finally i finally stopped my tiktok hiatus and i'm back in it (laughs) back we don't know how healthy it is but it's i'm there (laughs) oh i love tiktok people can be really annoying in the comments sometimes but it's fun tiktok's my happy place Mm -hmm. yeah me too Mm -hmm. except for like that whenever a video goes viral it is annoying company just yeah just because it's like people who are on like the book side of things and they'll just say whatever comes to mind but I just remind myself like most of those people are like 13 years old so (laughs) that's all good yeah Okay, today's guest, we are both really excited about it. We have Alexis Castellanos. Alexis Castellanos was born and raised in Florida, where she enjoyed sunny days, dramatic thunderstorms, and delicious Cuban food. After graduating from college, she moved to New York City and worked as a scenic artist, bringing theatrical sets to life with a little bit of paint and a whole lot of ingenuity. She currently works as a graphic designer by day and spends her nights dreaming up stories. She lives in Seattle with her partner and her extremely photogenic cat, Belle. Isla to Island is her first graphic novel. Alexis! Alex! Slex Colt! Welcome! <laughs> Oh, no. my bio. I live in LA now. <laughs> oh, everyone pretend I said LA when I said Seattle. <laughs> it's like published in my book. They live in Seattle. A bunch of yeah. I I'm it's it's debut time. Uh, <laughs> I'm not updating a few things. It's I actually it's actually so that people can't find you because obviously yeah. after this interview they're going to be obsessed with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to keep things uh, mysterious. <laughs> good, good. Um, we're so excited to have you, partly because we adore you as a human being, 
but also because like we're trying to like branch out from just having like prose writers and I you're only like our second graphic novel illustrator that we've had on the podcast so we're going to ask you all of our behind the scenes questions yes force you to educate us (laughs) I'm so happy to be here with y'all I'm really excited (laughs) thanks for having me yeah. Um, let's start at the very beginning, though. So um, how did you first get into telling stories? And especially, like, how did you first get into, like, doing it through, like, graphic novels and illustrating? Because I do also know you write books as well. Yeah. I mean, I've always been an artist. And that's something I've always pursued and enjoyed. And for me, like, I've been writing stories since I was little. And they've always been, like, hand in hand with drawing them. Like I, it kind of looked like a serial killer set up in high school. I had a desk with a hutch and I would write story. I had a computer in my room. I would write all my stories on that computer. And then I would draw the characters in the story. And I would just like, it was all on computer paper. And I would just tape it all over the hutch and all over the walls around like where I was writing. So they always went hand in hand. I read a lot of manga when I was in middle school and high school. And I, I loved that format. Um, so I don't know. It was something that's always been an interest of mine. And uh, I've always loved the visual aspect of storytelling. That's why I ended up becoming a scenic artist, because that's you basically paint the sets. And I loved that you could bring this location to life and really, like, I don't know, add another dimension to a story through like those visual elements. That's so cool. I also like that you compare it to a serial killer's lair because <laughs> it feels very unbranded for you. Um, <laughs> not that I'm telling, not that I think you're a serial killer, but <laughs> that you're I, very I, much I, a murderer now. I've back since then. My like writing setup doesn't look nearly as threatening as it did before. Like I have pictures of it, and it's just like absolutely wild <laughs> what I would tape up. The chaotic mind of a teenager. So you mentioned that you like got into set design. Um, and I do know that like that was an actual thing you did professionally for a while. Like how did you get into that? Like how did that inspire your art? Um, I got into it. So I, I always knew I liked art. Like my mom sent me to art classes. She was always really supportive of me like being a creative. But like being an immigrant and like me being first generation, there's that like that pressure on you to you know, have a successful career, right? And my mom, like, works in the the law field, and my dad's an accountant. So it was, like, they supported my arts, but there was always that push for, like, and, you know, one day you're going to go to law school, and you're going to have, like, a practical job. <laughs> and, like, I saw my mom being a paralegal. I saw my dad being an accountant. It was very clear, like, what those jobs were to me, since they were, like, so close to my life. I would, like, visit my mom at work. And I understood how that could be a job. Um, And when you're, like, in school, like, thinking about being an adult and having a job is such, like, this nebulous thing. Um, And you can't, sitting at your desk, like, you can't imagine, like, what is a work day? Like, what do you do? Because I want to enjoy what I do. But, like, what are you going to end up doing? Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. Uh, And I ended up in drama my freshman year of high school, like, on accident. I did not sign up for it. I know. Big surprise. Um, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll take this class. And I fell in love with it. And we were, my high school, (laughs) we were in Florida 
and we had no budget for anything. So it was very like DIY. So we all got to to touch different aspects of theater. And the coolest thing about doing theater in high school is like you're literally doing the work that you would be doing as a career, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it was very like I could grasp it like this is a job and I can physically do it. So that immediately interested me. I loved every aspect of it. Um, and my high school teacher was so supportive and she shared so much knowledge with me. And I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I went to school for theater and I pretty quickly narrowed on scenic art because I want to be clear, I did not go into uh, set design because I'm terrible at math and I don't want to be responsible for things people stand on. Uh, <laughs> like I don't want to be a, a responsible for the math part that makes things structurally sound. I, I realized pretty quickly that that was... Um, because there are definitely those set designers who don't. And then you have a TD who's like really frustrated trying to make things safe. So I was just like, I don't want to mess with any of that. I'll just paint it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just because like it was something I could physically do. And I knew that like that was the work and I could do it so I could get the job. Um, so, yeah, I did that. And I mean, having a background in theater informs so much of how I approached my book of how I approach storytelling in general and how like I, um, I don't know, like experience a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to approach the graphic novel that I worked on the way, like a graphic novel without dialogue if I didn't have my theater background. I just love that concept so much. I remember the first time you told me about it, I was like, holy crap, that's so cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what it was like creating a story with no written words, why you did it on aside from what you just said and what the process has been like? Uh, so having a background in theater, like pantomime is a really big part of theater. We have Commedia del Art, which is uh, pretty much all pantomime based. There's no really dialogue in it. So I was already really familiar with um how stories can be told without dialogue and just through like body language. And then also through set design, like the color, the mood, the composition, like when you're directing a play and how you do the the blocking of the scene and how that reads from the audience, um, that all played into how I laid out panels and how I laid out the story. Uh, so and, and considering it was like my first graphic novel, <laughs> Like, I'd never done one before, so doing one without words is just like, okay, this is the way we're doing it, and we're going to figure it out this way. So I I didn't have to, like, unlearn anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just like I was engineering a process for myself to work on this book that worked for me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I really approached it it like I was... A, a director blocking a scene um and i you know some people approach comics and graphic novels from like a cinematography angle mm-hmm. and i approached it from like a theater angle which is you know it, it worked and then it also had its uh drawbacks because i i definitely struggle with like breaking that fourth wall uh because I think in like such a theater format, like you have the proscenium arch and that's where the story is told. So like breaking in and really getting some more like emotional shots that you would think of as more like a cinemagraphic or sim- whatever word I'm looking for that. 
I, I feel like I understand, even if it's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. We're on the same page. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but yeah. So um, for anyone who hasn't um, heard about heard about the book yet, can you kind of give a really quick synopsis to our listeners? Yes. Um, Isolet's Island is a story about a girl named Marisol who's growing up in Cuba um, just as Fidel's revolution takes over. And as his government takes over in Cuba, her parents become concerned for her safety and they send her to the United States through something called Operation Peter Pan. Now she travels from Havana to the United States. Her world drains of color. She lands in Brooklyn in the middle of winter. Everything's cold and unfamiliar and gray. And she has to find a way to bring color back into her world. I love it. (laughs) And I love like that. I I mean, you know, a little bit cheating here, but I know that part of it is based on your family's lived history. Um, So like how, how, where did you start when you decided to tell the story? Was it, was it from like a story from your family or was it that you wanted to like tell a certain type of story with a certain type of theme and it turned out that like you can fit it into that narrative like how did what's the pro what was the process for you um uh, i have a very clear memory of the the first seed of this story and it was because it was like a project in this program i was in where we had to come up with a bunch of story ideas in one day so we all went to books of wonder to walk around the bookshelves and see maybe like what gaps were in the market, what kind of story ideas we wanted to come up with. So I remember walking through Books of Wonder, this was like 2016, and looking at all the shelves. um, And this must have been like a a bestsellers shelf. And I think the only like um, Latin American author or Latin American book I saw on there was Esperanza Rising, which Mm -hmm. is a great book, but it's like, it's old. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's been around the block for a while. And there was like nothing new up there. So I saw that and I was immediately like, okay, um, I'm going to write something Cuban. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. And having to come up with so something so quickly, I was thinking about, okay, Cuban history. And, you know, I think most people know there was a Cuban revolution there was the Bay of Pigs incident. There was the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think I think most people basically think of those things when they think of Cuba. Um, and there's so many other parts of Cuban history that are really interesting. And one that's always fascinated me is Operation Peter Pan. Oh, Neither yeah. of my parents came over in Operation Peter Pan, mm-hmm. um, but I do have family. And it was the largest exodus of miners in the 20th century, there were 14,000 unaccompanied miners sent to the United States. Um, And that's just such an interesting story. You have all these kids either ending up with, you know, distant relatives or with foster families. Um, And there's so many interesting stories that have come out of, the the kids are called Pedro Pans. So I knew I I wanted to go there because it was A, something I wanted to learn more about and B, I think a a really interesting point in history and perhaps a good subject for a children's book, especially considering the climate in 2016. Mm -hmm. This was a way to talk about child, like Latin American children immigrating or that kind of immigration through the the lens of history. Um, So it was also like a relevant topic at the time. 
and that that's just where it started and then the the and I had to come up with the story really fast so the fastest way to to pull a story together was to just pull from things I knew Mm -hmm. so I just picked pieces of my own family history to flesh out the story so my family came to Queens in the middle of winter and no one had winter clothes oh Um, no they had to get their coats from the Salvation Army and um, they had some family come to visit once they had settled in in their apartment and as my grandfather opens the door uh, he's like hold on don't take off your coat the heat doesn't work and then he opens up his coat to show it off and he's like look we just got these coats mine has blood on it and (laughs) the inside of the Salvation Army coat had like a blood stain on it (laughs) incredible oh no that's not in the book but the fact that she comes in winter which is like super unfamiliar when you come from a tropical island Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's really small things and then you know Marisol's inspired by my mother she's definitely not my mother uh but every time I gave the book to my mom for notes (laughs) she never really gave me very constructive notes she would just be like I wore saddle shoes and I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll change all her shoes. <laughs> and then she would, she'll just, like, the coolest part about working on this book is, like, sharing it with my mom and then her telling me something about her past that she's never told me before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, one silly one is, like, there's a scene where Marisol is in a cafeteria. She was like, you know, when I went to, like, the school cafeteria for the first time and they give you milk to drink, I thought that was so disgusting. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Like, my mom told me that she would skip lunch and go read tarot cards with her art teacher. <gasps> like, uh, She's definitely your yeah. mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was just, like, fleshing out the story of bits of, like, my personal family history and invented things and things just inspired by Cuban history in general. I love that so much. I didn't know that about you, your mom giving you notes about it. But that's so beautiful <laughs> because, like... It's, it just means that it's, like, super personal to you and, like, super authentic to you. And, like, even though it's not completely paralleling a an actual story as it happened, like, you know, beat by beat, it still has so much of you inside of it. That's beautiful. Oh, I'm very emotional right now about it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I really um, love that. I, I actually went um, for my short story in um, Reclaim the Stars. I had a similar experience with my mom in that, like, I learned so much about her because the setting is, like, a countryside, like, house, like, how she grew up. And, like, she was like, yeah, every day I would go to the farm down the road and get, like, oranges for my whole family. And I was like, I didn't know that. And, like, all of these, like, little things that she did when she was a kid that, like, ended up being in the story. And it was just, like, really cool. It felt like a collaboration. Like, maybe her name should be on the short story, too, actually. <laughs> ask, yeah, ask Sarita if you can add a new collaborator. Last, you know, like, after you know, that. Sparks- new memories for them to share with you that like you would never have had the opportunity to hear before which is really special for Mm -hmm. sure I think that's like a beautiful part about becoming a storyteller for your profession is that like you really do get like really interested in in the stories that you came from um I definitely like started learning more about my Korean heritage more after I became a writer um so that's just kind of a beautiful part about this profession even though it can be hard (laughs) sometimes 
it could definitely be I definitely had some like really difficult moments and really difficult conversations with my mom um and you know as you uncover the really cute beautiful funny things about your family you're bound to like dig up a few uh, <laughs> traumatic yeah. conversations yeah. that part yeah yeah for sure it's not all roses and sunshine for BIPOC people um so so speaking of the struggle uh let's get back to like how you got an agent um because you you got an agent with this graphic novel right yeah so how did you go about doing that like what did you have to prepare and how did you reach out to agents because you know like how it is for prose writers like because yeah we're friends you're friends with a bunch of us um so like how did you feel like your situation was different um well (laughs) Like, I couldn't really turn to y'all for a lot of advice because it was just so outside the realm of what any of you had done at the time. Um, so I was Googling a lot of things, like, especially, like, going back to the beginning, like, how do you write a script for a graphic novel to, like, sell, to, like, pitch to an agent and then sell? And there's so much information online that, you know, contradicts each other. And it's very confusing and it's very stressful. So it was a lot of, you know, figuring out what worked for me and what wasn't the most offensive way of organizing words on a page, because there are some people that have very strong opinions about it. Um, And then actually, like, querying agents, I'll never forget. It was like a whirlwind weekend because it was the beginning of 2018, and I had just, I had finished the script in September, and as soon as I got the idea for this book, I knew I couldn't draw it. I knew I didn't have the skill. I knew I didn't have the ability. I could not draw the book. So in, in I'm, I'm going all over the place. I got the idea in 2016. I knew I couldn't draw it. So I just sat with the idea in my head for a whole year. And I was like, I'm going to dedicate this year to like boosting up my drawing skill. So that's what I did. And then 2017 hits and I start being like, okay, time to start getting this story together and and working on art. So by the end of 2017, I had a script I was feeling really good about and it was time to, you know, start thinking about sample art because that's what you need for an agent if you're going to illustrate and write the graphic novel. You need the script and you need sample pages or sample art. And I was like taking my time with it. I I, I didn't really feel like I had a um a ticking clock or anything. Um but I was still finding new ways to improve my art. So on January 1st, 2018, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a drawing a day thing where I just do a drawing every day and I share it on social media. And I started doing that. And at the time I was living in New York city and I'm a voracious reader and you know, you're on the train for like two hours every day. (laughs) So I was reading books and I was reading my friend's books. So I was, I was posting a lot of fan art. I, I was also like trying to build an audience. Um, so I was doing fan art for my drawings a day. And um, one day I did a drawing from the devouring gray and Christine's agent saw it. And then, and I had also been talking about how I had a graphic novel on social media and she messaged me and she was like, you have a graphic novel. Like, the, I really like your art. You have a graphic novel. And I was Ooh. like, oh, my God. And <laughs> mine? Mine? <laughs> and I was like, I guess, I guess I could start querying. Like, I have, 
I have some, I have the script. I think I have some sable art and I interned for a literary agency. I interned for Sarah Younger and my friend was also interning um, for Sarah Younger after I had done it. So I went to Sarah's office one day after work and I was like, Sarah, (laughs) help me. And she's like a romance author. So she's like, I can't really help you because I have no idea what this should look like. I sat in the office with her and Meg and together we like worked on my pitch um, in that office late one night. And I went home, I like kind of put it together and I had a list of like, I think five agents and I just shot it out there. I just sent it to everyone. And then um, pretty quickly, a few agents got back to me, but Marietta, who's my agent, got back to me the most like ardently. <laughs> um, and I was like, all right, that, you know, that, that feels really good. Um, and I spoke to her on the phone and she told me how she cried on the couch reading uh, my and that someone from the office saw her and was like, are you okay? <laughs> she was just crying in the office. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, it was like <laughs> a lot of, I don't know if you could tell, a lot of this book was like, hurry up, do something right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is really the experience all the way through to the end. So yeah, it was just a rush where I, I was suddenly, like I felt the need to be like, oh my God, I guess I guess I need a query right now. Um, <laughs> And it was like, I was very lucky that I had a response and that I got Marietta out of that. Mm-hmm. I love Marietta. She's great. She's so great. I love her too. She's just so sweet. And you can tell she really cares about her authors so much. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. I'm really happy that you have someone like her as your advocate. Like, I really like her sense of humor. She's very funny and personable, which is nice to have in an agent um because like it just makes them more approachable and you can tell that they are very gregarious and can create good relationships which is important because as authors we have all of those anxieties that (laughs) we internalize um awesome well and so then you sign with marietta how much of the of the graphic novel was done by that point um just the script really the art that she signed to me with was awful (laughs) But you did have um, art. Yeah, I did. I did have some sample art pages um, <laughs> that I look back at now and I'm like, she really had trust in me. Um, <laughs> and I mean, the first step of the process was revising the script. We revised the script together. And it was also like, you, you know, the art's also going to be revised. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I had the entire script written and I, I had the entire script thumbnailed too. Um but those like pretty much went out the window after like all the revisions <laughs> the script went into. I mean, like some of it still translates. There were scenes I had like engraved in my mind and I could show you the first sketch I ever had of the scene and the final from the book. And it's like the same. Um, but yeah, that's what I had. So then you, when you guys decided, when did, at what point in the process did you decide to submit to publishers like did you have to draw everything out first or was it still as like mostly a script it was a script and then uh revised sample art so like new better sample <laughs> art <laughs> that would improved. good <laughs> to be clear the art really took a while there for me to get right um so yeah, it, I worked on, I signed with Marietta in March of 2018, and by November of 2018, uh, I went on submission. Awesome. Okay. 
That sounds like a similar timeline to prose novel, fiction novels. Um, so then how was the submission process for you? Like, <laughs> I mean, November, you're hitting right in the holidays. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it was slow. I remember I saw um, Clarabelle. I saw you when I was on submission. It Where was at um, ALA, ALA in Seattle. Oh, yeah, that's when I put you in my phone as yes. Flex Cult. <laughs> that yeah. was the time. Yeah, my so, we talked about this off the podcast, but just know that that happened, everyone, and it was very funny. And, and um, it still exists to this day, that yeah. designation. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, that's what the, the notes for this episode are going to have me named as. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be called Alexis Castellanos and the Slex Cult. <laughs> People are gonna get the wrong idea. Yeah, we'll we'll consider we'll consider other titles, but this is the winner so far. Yeah. Okay. Just very quickly, for whatever reason, my phone autocorrected Alex to Slex, and then our big writing group is called the Cult, or was called the Cult at one point, and so that's why. It was supposed to be Alex Colt, and it came out as Slex Colt, and then I just didn't know who it was for the longest time, and then I figured it out, and I was like, oh, Alex, okay. <laughs> Origin um, story, okay. Classic, classic. But I, I distinctly remember meeting you mm. at that January, so it's still like January, things are slow, and I'm not hearing anything, and I am um, <laughs> excessive. So I have like Google Analytics on my website and uh, a lot of the, the the big publishers, their internet service provider, when it goes through like uh, Google Analytics is the company's name. So I could see when someone from HarperCollins, when someone from Penguin Random House visited my website, I could see how many times they've returned to my web, like that kind of information. So I was like tracking that and I was like, okay, I know this editor at you know, Macmillan has my book right now and they visited my website two days ago, you know? Like yeah, I was just, that's, oh my God. I was fall. I remember I told you that and you were like, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to do stuff like that because you feel so out of control and so out of the loop when you're on sub um, that like any little bit of information feels like you have some semblance of control, but it's a farce because it doesn't really mean anything a lot of times. And I do remember that there was this popular blog post about an author and her submission process. And I think that was part of it that like she had seen like a bunch of activity from like, like Harper Collins, or I don't know what the actual publisher was just using that as a stand in on her website. And then like the next day she got a call. So I think that was probably like in everyone's mind, like subconsciously that like, it could mean something, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it's, I think it's like, it's hard. And I agree with what you just said, Clarabelle, because you're trying to find control in a situation where you just don't have any of it. But, like, people do the same thing when they're like, oh, this editor from Penguin just followed me on Twitter. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, or, like, so-and-so's editorial assistant just followed me or whatever. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think I definitely did that. Like, I noticed for sure when someone with a publisher's name in their bio followed me. You can't help me. it. You can't help you can't. it. Yeah. You can't. It's just so dangerous. It's hard. <laughs> it, it is dangerous because it could mean – something or it could mean nothing at all you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and like I think it usually doesn't mean anything but when you're in 
like su- sub is a very weird place to be i feel like mm-hmm. we change as people when we're on sub <laughs> well i mean it's also like applying for i did the same thing when i was applying for jobs <laughs> mm. i could see what companies were looking at my website and i could see like you know and then the next day get the rejection and be like yeah yeah uh so it's like it's kind of like the same thing you're waiting for just someone and the other issue for me is that I work in publishing. Like, I know how the sausage is made. There's mm-hmm. no, like, veil of mystery for me. Um, so that, like, feeds into my <laughs> uh, obsession with uh, collecting data. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. <laughs> for Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Luceli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco and action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. So what was it like for you to like get the final call from like the with the offer? Like how did that go down? And then how did you decide that you want to go with your current publisher? Um so I remember when I first wrote this book, I was like, my dream would be to have like, uh, me be the Cuban author illustrator, have a Cuban agent and have a Cuban editor. But I know that's crazy. Like <laughs> chances are zero there. So maybe just, you know, people who are like uh, of Latin American descent, I, I would be cool with that. Just like someone who would understand me, the stories I'm telling and really understand this story in particular. Um, so I knew, I knew it was far-fetched, but then I get Marietta, who is Cuban. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, score, like, awesome. Um, and one of the editors I submitted to was Cuban. And uh, I don't think none of the other ones were. So <laughs> that was the one I was like, that would be cool. And I remember she had tweeted something once about wanting a graphic novel about Cuba. Um, so already in my mind, I was like, I think she would be a really good fit. But um, I I got rejected by everyone else and um, Alex, my editor, which is yes, sometimes confusing uh, (laughs) emails or like, you know, gets in contact with my editor or my agent and was like, you know, I really love this story. I really like it, but I can't sell the team on the art. Um, And I had had another editor be like, can you do an R and R with the script and, and I wasn't totally jiving with the changes to the script, but I was like, I want to sell the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't end up going through with that. But the R&R for the art, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but I could do that. I could do better art. Like, months have passed since I've done this art. I'm better now. So I got, like, I don't know, three months to do, or two months, I don't remember anymore, to do the revision on the sample art from Alex. And at, I, I turned that in. And then I think like the next week I went to a book con. Uh, And I think what was the last book con, right? (laughs) Possibly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was 2019. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
I went to BookCon and I'm meeting all these people and I'm going to all these events and, you know, people ask me like, who are you? And I don't work <laughs> in publishing anymore because I work in Seattle. I live in Seattle at this point. So I'm no longer a professional, like publishing professional. I'm now like this agented author and people would ask me about my book and I would tell them and they're like, oh, when's it coming out? And I was like, well, it's sold it. <laughs> it was like, I was a really awkward place to be in because I'm meeting and I'm networking and my agent is telling people about my book and how much she loves my book, mm -hmm. but it hasn't sold. And um, I, I, it was, and I know like it was supposed to go to acquisitions, but then BEA messed up the whole schedule and it was going to go to acquisitions the next week. So instead of hearing about it before, BA and BookCon. I'm hearing about it after. So all BA and BookCon, I'm losing my mind. I'm meeting all these people. And um, I go, you know, back home. I go to Seattle and I was peeing in the 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 bathroom at work and I decide to check my email and I got the offer. My agent had emailed me to be like, Alex wants to buy the book. <laughs> on a toilet. Amazing. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But that's so, I mean, yeah, but th honestly, I feel like that happens a lot where like you're, where you are hyper aware of when publishing slows down, when you are waiting for news on something. Oh, but wait, I forgot. There was another wrinkle to the story. Oh, good. <laughs> so BEA and BookCon happens. And then my agent, the reason why she didn't call me is because she was on a, cr my agent, was on a cross-country bike ride from San Francisco to LA. <laughs> In the middle. That always how it happens. Of all My of goodness. this, which is why I think it was an email because she was like, right, there was like a hundred mile day that she had to ride her bike. Oh, of um, course. So <laughs> that was like also a wrinkle in this whole thing was, um, anyway, but yeah, that was, that was how I got the offer. Um, That's amazing I, though. I mean, I, I'm glad that she was so she, she that Alex the editor obviously really 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 wanted to work on this project and that she was like let's try to make it make it work as much as possible so I can take yeah. positions when when it comes to art R&R &R, what kind of notes do they give I'm curious this is just me um honestly I can't remember I think it was just like make it better <laughs> Definitely. No problem. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. You know, like, you know, it's a little stiff. It's a little this. It's a little that. Okay. Can you make it that. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, it's difficult being an artist uh, <laughs> because, you know, as a writer, you're like, I can you know, I can always make it better. Like the last thing I wrote is not the best. The thing I'm going to write after that is going to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't feel, I don't think it feels as demoralizing as seeing like a drawing you did last year compared to a drawing you did this year. Like, I, I feel like you can't quantify the difference as much between writing mm -hmm. and a drawing. because It's like a physical thing that you could see all at once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I that's it. That's totally fair, actually, and it makes so much sense because, like, there's you can't like you can't compare two three hundred page books. There's just like too much content, yeah. Um, and it's not a like a one for one either. But like when you can see the whole product next to another whole product, 
in your art. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Do you think that like you drawing fan art of like your favorite like kid lit books like really upped your game? Yeah, that was the vehicle I used to like improve my work because I think this stems all the way back to me being a scenic artist. Being a scenic artist, you're taking what the set designer has designed and you're just taking it and then you're blowing it up on a set. Like someone's already done the renderings on a smaller scale and you're taking that and you're copying it exactly as the set designer had designed it and just blowing it up, you know, at a larger scale. Mm -hmm. So I've always been really good at taking information from something else. The same thing with like costume design or even like set design, you have a play and you have all this information to build from. And I did so much of that in college. We like my, my degree focused on scenography, which is being a designer who designs all aspects, set, costume, lights, sound, so I was often reading plays and, and drawing, um, coming up with costume designs and set designs. And it's something I really, really enjoyed and something I think I missed once I stopped doing that in college. And doing fan art filled that void for me and mm-hmm. really challenged me. Because, like, I mean, when you're doing a costume design, it's just like a lady, like, <laughs> you know, it, you don't, it doesn't, it can't really be that exciting because it's about the clothes and how they're, like, you know, it, this is how the costumer is going to construct it from this drawing. So it needs to be clear mm-hmm. for the costume. It can't be like a super fun drawing. Um, so it was like fulfilling that that need I had to create these visual things and having a source material to be able to pull so much information from. That's so cool. I never really thought about it like that, but that makes so much sense how so many parts of your creative life overlap in so many ways. Yeah, I honestly just keep doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> um, just in different aspects. Like I, my job now, I'm a designer and ad promo, and I love it because we're working on books that have already been designed. So I'm just creating assets, pulling inspiration from that design. I'm not reinventing the wheel and not designing something brand new. I'm basically like I'm copy pasting to a, a certain aspect, which is like what I've been doing forever when I was a scenic artist it was copy paste and I, you you can even say like fan art is like copy paste in a way because I'm just taking things from like it it's words on the page and I'm kind of transforming it and pasting it as a visual image and that's the way my mind works and uh, I, I really enjoy it <laughs> that's really cool I mean I, th- I think it's good to know like how your how you function as an artist too because I think that's a huge part of it because at I think a lot of us, like, when we get into storytelling and, like, writing our stories, like, if you, like, you haven't fully discovered your voice yet, right? So you're pretty much, like, trying on, like, things that you've respected in the past. Like, not that I think anyone's completely copying other authors, but I do think, like, there's something to be said of being, like, I was inspired by so-and-so's writing, so that's why you can see some, like, inspirations there. Um, So I think, like, it takes a long time to understand like where your strengths are, but you've kind of figured it out. So more power to you. <laughs> Thanks. What? I, I figured true. it out for writing, but for every other creative outlet I have, writing is um, the the beast that can't be wrangled. Well, you're so you're working on on a, a prose fiction novel now, right? Am I allowed um, to say that? Am I allowed to tell people that? I mean, you're, yeah, I'm, 
do it. <laughs> like, other than sitting on my computer right now. Yeah. So, okay. How has it been jumping from, I mean, and, and it feels like even more of a jump of only because you very purposefully did not put any words on the page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> graphic novel. So like, it's like going from zero words to like only words. <laughs> yeah. So right now, I think like a hundred thousand words. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, good for you. Like, it's getting it on the page like that. How has that been, though? Like, uh... it's definitely stressful. Because, you know, like with the script from my book, I really sold the book on vibes only, right? <laughs> like, there was no dialogue. to it, it was vibes. Like, it was just like, this happens, and then this happens, and then she holds this thing. Like, I didn't have to be particularly eloquent. I just needed to get a story across in the script. There, and there was no dialogue. So I, I didn't, you know... The writing, if I read it back now, I'm sure you read the writing, you're, you'd be like, Ugh. like it, it wasn't, it didn't inspire, the words didn't inspire, but like the story and the vibes did, right? Yeah. Um. So there's a part of me that's like absolutely terror. I haven't sent this to my agent. I told her the idea and I like came, I sent her like a really tight pitch and she was like, yeah, write it and send it to me. Um. But now I'm like, now she's going to see how like I actually string words together that are meant to be read. And like, what if she's like, oh, Big mistake, only good for vibes. <laughs> uh, big problem, you know? So that's like a, a, a personal struggle I'm dealing with is like, Aww. can I write words? Because let me tell you, my book that famously does not have dialogue. There are only two bits of dialogue, uh, two speech bubbles with dialogue in the book. Um, I had someone read it for blurbs. And she's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to send you a blurb. Do you want me to also send you notes with all the typos I found? Um, <laughs> I was like, what? yes, it's been copy edited. <laughs> um, that is so weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciated it from her. Um, so I, I'm very glad she did that because there were some embarrassing typos. Oh, <laughs> okay. And I'm dyslexic. So like, I was never going to catch them. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, it's writing prose from that. And like, I, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll write another graphic novel. I don't really see that for me mm -hmm. just yet. Okay. Um, uh, because it's very physically demanding and I think I need <laughs> five years to recover. I do not people do it. Um, but yeah, you know, writing prose is a different beast entirely and um but I I mean I love it it's still storytelling it's the the thing that I'm I'm strapped to for the rest of my life yeah definitely I'm uh, so excited to get your graphic novel and I've I mean I've known about it for so long now it's like okay give it to me now <laughs> it's <laughs> been it's been in the works for a while I, how long how long has it been like that you've been working on this at this point do you think June 2016 is when I got the idea Okay, yeah. So like I that's tell been you, a it was while. Probably like June twenty sixth, end of June twenty sixteen. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a long time, and I literally like I finished drawing it in like September. So oh, wow. it's not it's not that you know old for me. I feel like yeah, I, it it's so different. It was I couldn't really commiserate with my author friends about it because. <laughs> Like when you write a, a, a you know, I haven't done it, but when you write a prose book and you send it to your editor and you get notes and, and you get line edits and you get all that, 
the story is done and like the the big portion of the the heavy lifting is done mm-hmm. pretty much at the beginning when you send in the manuscript, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no point where like, okay, the heavy lifting's done. It was like heavy lifting from A to Z. Uh-huh. There was no point where it was like, all right, and then now we just do like the line edits. It was grueling all the way through. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the kind of work it takes to illustrate a graphic novel. Like from my perspective, as someone who wrote a graphic novel and had an illustrator um, that uh, that did all of the like the hard part um i finished (laughs) writing in a couple of months got notes did all of the revisions and everything but rose was working on it for like over a year Mm -hmm. like so much work so much like back and forth and like even when we would get notes back from our editor kiara it would be like clarabelle there's three things for you rose everything else is for you (laughs) and so whenever anybody it like talks about the book online or anything i'm like just remember rose did the heavy lifting here like it's their first book i understand that but like illustrators artists do so much like working through injury hand cramping up like mm-hmm. all of it and it's just it, it i really just like admire you a lot because i can't draw for shit and i just feel like people who have that and i know it's something that you develop right it's not like you were just born and you know how to draw really well like it takes time and practice so i don't want to like reduce it to like this magical like gift that you've been given it's hard work to be good at it but it's just something that i don't know that i have it in me to ever even try to do so i just think it's really cool I'm curious for you because like for me writing the script for my graphic novel, um, I knew I was going to draw it. Uh, so I didn't feel like I really needed to give too much information. I just needed to get enough of the story across for my editor and for my agent to know what was up. How, how was writing a script for you? Um, it was a process cause it was my first time doing that. Like I love graphic novels. I read a lot of graphic novels. Um, but it was my first time doing it so um Kiara sent me like a box of like first second books and I just went through them and I also received a bunch of scripts from other authors like like from first second to see like how they structured it and then I sort of just started writing and finding like my style and what I would do is um for every um for every like page and for every like uh um, window I would just do like a description for Rose um, but I tried not to be too heavy handed because I didn't want it to be like this is what it needs to look like and it can't deviate from that because I feel like it's a it's a collaboration um, I yeah. wanted Rose to have um, sort of autonomy as like much as uh, they they could have um and it's funny because later rose was like oh no i like when people tell me what to do (laughs) (laughs) and i was like well shit rose like told me that from the beginning but it was good because they said they learned a lot it was their first time doing a graphic novel as well it was like a first time for both of us so um they learned a lot in the process and like now they know like what they want what they don't want in terms of like illustrating something um and they're working on like their own like debut solo graphic novel too Ah, um awesome but yeah for me it was like I know some writers who don't illustrate actually draw out little boxes 
with like what they want it to look like. Oh, really? They'll do like some thumbnails. Yeah, the, and they'll like and they'll like like very like ugly little sketches. Like this is where <laughs> I want things to be. But I I didn't want to be like an overbearing author and sort of like mm. like because I feel like if I left it a little bit more open to Rose's imagination, we would get more of like their vision plus mine as opposed to like synergy right as opposed to like my vision interpreted through their art um Mm -hmm. so so yeah it was it was definitely a learning process but i loved it i i loved working on a graphic novel especially like first second it's really great um kiara is really great rose is really great um but it was definitely a learning process (laughs) a whole new world it definitely i've told kat this before too writing graphic novel scripts like scratches a part of my brain like it really just like is very satisfying for me um to write in that format i really like it um I, i think i like it better than writing prose to be quite honest it reminds me so much of um writing plays which i did a lot Mm. of in high school um it's really like a similar format and it's yeah the way that the story comes to your mind at least for me is really different than how a story comes to my mind for like a prose novel um i mean that makes sense i do approach it more like a play than anything else yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a very visual medium, right? And, like, I'm a visual writer anyway, so I just felt like it it was just, like, the perfect sort of mixture of the things that I like and the way that I like to write. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens next. I have, a, I have a novel that's written that I'm converting into a graphic novel. Ooh. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, I know which one that is. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> story that could go either way and i just can't you can't, <laughs> can't decide <laughs> well you, maybe you can like write an outline that kind of it reads like a script and see like how how that makes you feel <laughs> yeah i mean that's kind of how i write in general i do like a word vomit and then i i grab all the pieces and i kind of put them where they need to go and then i just start filling it out bit by bit do you do do you think that you're kind of an outliner in general? Um, I think that's too generous a term for what I do. <laughs> um, I, I I was talking to Ashley, mm-hmm. my friend, your roommate, Ashley. Yes. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> in um, case you forgot. The web we weave. Uh, I was talking to her about, I think we have very similar writing process and how we think about story and how we approach a story mm-hmm. where like I'll get an idea and that sparks like a, an adjacent idea and then maybe an adjacent idea from there. And then I'm like, Ooh, that, that one. And then from there, like build a little web of things. And at this point it's like pretty far removed from that initial seed. Uh-huh. Um, and then I just like, I don't know, like build things like a little castle. And then sometimes you got to kick that tower out and then put <laughs> a turret over here. Um, so I don't think you can call that outlining, um, <laughs> but it's, it's something. I like that. I like that you keep on calling it a web. I kind of like the, the concept of a web. I don't know where exactly I, I can't, it's not a fully fleshed out concept or theory yet in my mind, but I like the word cause it fits a lot. I think about like yeah. how someone like has the pieces and they know kind of how this piece might connect to that piece and that piece might connect to that piece, but it's not fully forming like a a solid structure yet. 
Yeah, and how, like, you'll have bits that you've abandoned Mm -hmm. before you find that one, like, central, like, node of the story that everything else expands from. So all those other parts are still there in in the distant, still kind of influencing what you finally land on. Um, But, yeah. Cool. And it, 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 you know, then sometimes you go down one side and you realize, oh, 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 it's a little heavy over here. And then you got to <laughs> even out your web and not go on little tangents. I love, I love that. this. That's so cool. I love seeing how people work and like the different processes that authors have. It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. I was, I was talking to Ashley about it yesterday because you're talking about foodies process. I was like, I wish I had her mind. Like, genius mind over there with excel spreadsheets and just like being able to because she i think think she's like a tumblr post about like how to come up with a story and she just comes up like a an example really fast and just like the way her mind works and her process seems like so methodical in a way that like the, the chaos den in my mind i can never force into um and i don't know if it's you know you try to fit in the boxes of what other people prescribe either prescribe or like what works for them and you try to make yourself fit in those boxes as a storyteller and it, you know nothing fits right until you take the time to really think about yourself and like what you need <laughs> take care of yourself foodie is an okay. overachiever she's that friend who makes all the other friends look bad so it's unfair <laughs> to compare anything to foodie yeah, also an like, elegant gazelle oh my god yeah her wedding being like the most gorgeous wedding oh she's just <laughs> like her having her planning that wedding in in the middle of becoming a New York Times bestselling author is unfair and I hold it against her <laughs> uh, just having a little little moment here to fawn over her yes she's amazing we love her and her I love spreadsheets so like that's actually something where I I very much adore that part of foodie I did use spreadsheets a lot for Isla but not for for writing I used it for like tracking progress um because I (laughs) I might have had like a mental breakdown last year while working on this book I don't know how I did it but I was at a point where I was having to do three pages a day like every day Monday through Sunday Um, and I had a spreadsheet where I input, you know, I have ached pages 55 through 59 today and it would update everything and tell me if I was like seven pages ahead or two pages behind. And if I was keep going at this rate, it would be done by July 18th. Like I, I had it, there were equations and I loved having that progress tracking, but for actual plotting, I can't. You got to embrace your strengths. Yeah. The rest of it is whatever. We can't be perfect, right? No, we're not all Amanda foodie. <laughs> <laughs> we're not all foodie, so it's fine. Um, I can't wait for her to listen to this episode. Yeah, she's going <laughs> to. <laughs> okay, Alex. So everyone who comes on the podcast tells us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You could do either or. You could do or both. You could do it's both. Up to, it's you. up to you. Um. Uh, I mean, I think the most embarrassing is maybe my first sample art pages for my book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're not great. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty bar- embarrassing when you're when you work in publishing and your coworkers find out that you're an aspiring author. Um, I I don't think I I'm so mortifying and embarrassing in so many other things. I'm not sure I have one for this. I'm really <laughs> upset about it. I mean, I'm sure That's I've done totally fine. You can also share something you wish you'd known before you started. That's valid. <laughs> I mean, also, like, I started, I worked in publishing first, um, so when I, you know, started my journey to become a published author, I had a pretty good insight into what that would look like. Um, Maybe I wish I knew that I would be paid so poorly. (laughs) Well, there it is. That's a good one. That's a good Uh, one. (laughs) So, yeah. I support you and same. It's totally fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> like, yes, I do wish that they, that publishing were more open with that part. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I, I was at what was a mid-level employee's salary and it was not good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Publishing's mm-hmm. fun, huh? <laughs> what a journey it has been. <laughs> a journey. I had um, a friend who worked in publishing in uh new york city in 1991 and she had uh nearly the same salary as me back then yeah i love it love to see it a few thousand dollars and i mean the crazy thing is the same thing in theater theater uh the rates hadn't changed since the 2000s it's so funny how dependent people are on like entertainment and like the arts and how little it's valued consistently Mm -hmm. i'm gonna box the world (laughs) <laughs> just fight them just fight all of them thank you so much for coming on the podcast Alex we had so much fun talking to you about your process and your amazing debut which as of ne- this recording has four starred reviews yeah. amazing <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me it was fun chatting with y'all yeah can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet uh, yeah you can find me at Alexis C underscore art on Twitter and Instagram and I guess also TikTok. Um, nice. You can go to alexiscastellanos.com or you can go to eastlittleisland.com or you can go to <laughs> spellcasterdesigns.com, which is my uh, design studio. Mm-hmm. Yes, which I am constantly sharing with people, like literally all the time. Yeah, it's yes. great. Everyone's always like, can you make a trip? No, go to Alex. <laughs> I can't. But Alex yeah. is great. Like, like literally all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you helped me get so many clients. I'm so grateful to you. Of course, I, I... that's what it's all about. Of course, you're 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 really good at what you do, and you, you deserve the work. So, yeah, Thanks. for sure. I have an elderly cat to support. <laughs> Come on, let's. She's 16 years old. Oh my gosh, and she eats expensive food. Listen, yeah. everyone, 20 prerequisite copies. Do it for mm-hmm. the cat. <laughs> Do it for Belle, the cat. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. We, we love talking to you. We love you so much. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Cat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.